to begin, I'm going to ask each of our each of our panelists here to introduce themselves. Um, you know, tell them a bit about their role and their organization. Of course, some standard introductions to get the ball rolling here. Arildo, we'll start with you. Yeah, good morning, everyone. My name is Arildo Zuka. I am a director of, of strategy and business development for the University of Iowa Healthcare. I have oversight responsibility across the whole enterprise, inpatient, outpatient, and ambulatory uh, settings. So, University of Iowa Healthcare is an academic medical center located in Iowa, in Eastern Iowa, in Iowa City. We are about 870, uh, 860 beds facility. We have an uh, adults as well as pediatric hospitals. We're about two billion, just a little bit over a two billion dollar organization. And uh, overall, we have about like more than 16,000 uh, employees. We're one of the largest uh, medical group in Iowa, medical groups, uh, multi-specialty medical groups in Iowa, with over 1,800 uh, physician residents as well as uh, fellows. And uh, and uh, in terms of the annual uh, volume, we do roughly more than 30,000 uh, inpatient discharges, uh, more than 50,000. ED admissions, uh, as well as roughly 30,000 or so uh, <coughs> surgery, complex surgeries. And uh, to, the, thing that really, uh, the, the thing that really is uh, the most of our uh, mind uh, these days is, you know, is, as everyone is, has experienced with COVID-19, we had a slowdown at the very beginning, but then what we're seeing is a surge. So that's, these are the strategies that we're looking, uh, we're looking forward to implementing in the, in the next years or a couple of years or so. Like how do we actually, uh, how do we actually mitigate and how do we actually put the right infrastructure in place to take care of, of patients moving forward and with their uh, complex needs. Thank you so much, Arildo. Uh, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Um, my name is Joe Cachon. I'm a recovering physician. I uh, came I'm, um, at, uh, I'm at Ascension in a corporate role, Executive Vice President of Clinical Network Services, which under my uh, um, supervision or uh, under my areas include the medical group, which is about 10,000 physicians, our service lines, um, our um, clinical uh, pharmacy, our, actually our pharmacy, both clinical and retail, our lab, managed care, uh, the network part of my title was the managed care and the insurance, so those all, which is a different uh, and was a, uh, a role that was new uh, three years ago when I took my role uh, to move the payment arm closer to the provider arm. And so tra traditionally that's been under finance and it was always sort of felt kind of parallel, but under this is a real partnership with finance, but we've moved the, all the network services into the really onto the, under the clinical enterprise, uh, and that's been uh, largely successful. Um, yeah, we, we too have, we're about a $30 billion organization. We're in, um, uh, Fort, I know our head of marketing and communications is here, but we're, I think we're in about 16 or 17 states. We have a round number of 145 hospitals um, and about 40,000 affiliated physicians which in these trying times is always interesting. And as physicians get more and more entrepreneurial, the thought about growth um, changes because you have to now not only think about how do you grow your traditional forms of growth, but how do you partner with physicians that are in some cases spirited, spiritedly independent. So we think, we're thinking about how we emerge out of COVID. Uh, it is um, 
uh, in our recovery has been spotty and sort of staggered by the number of states. And it's really what's true in Michigan is not true in Texas, and what's true in Texas is not true in Indiana. So it's a it's a, a diverse system, um, and it's really a microcosm of the U.S. healthcare system. So it uh, poses its own unique set of challenges, um, but at the same time, it's an exciting place to be. Thank you, Dr. Cashone. Um And let's let's dive into sort of talking about some of the disruptions that both of you sort of touched on in in your opening responses there. And Joe, we'll, we can stick with you to start, but can you talk about from from your vantage point how disruptions like obviously COVID, um, but also consumerism really transformed perhaps hospital and health system growth strategies industry-wide, and then if you could specifically speak to how they manifested at your organization as well. And, and again, Joe, we can, we can start with you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, listen, obviously COVID was the great disruptor. It's really changed how we think about things and, um, you know, and how we emerge out of COVID. I think one of the things that we did, and our CEO, I think, had a lot of foresight on this, is that we started planning in the middle of COVID for the exit out of COVID. So we developed a strategic plan and actually implemented it, began to begin implementing a new strategic plan, which made us much more of an operating company. Uh, and we were, we were only one year into COVID where we started planning our exit out of COVID. We were hoping that that was the exit, but we all know that it wasn't. Um, and so, but we continued to move forward on a strategic plan that really enabled you know, multi-channel growth. And it included uh, verticals, <clears throat> which are more the traditional uh, growth, uh, and that is the, the, the traditional fee-for-service, uh, thinking about how do we grow heads and beds, how do we grow our surgical enterprise, how do, all the things that you all do, and it's sort of second nature to growth. But then we made a purposeful move toward value, which a lot of you are doing, and probably a lot of people would say the same thing sitting here about moving to value, moving closer to the premium dollar, and really growing revenue through managing premium dollar. In addition, though, we started looking at other alternative sources of revenue, and those were the horizontals that we think about. And they include imaging, uh, lab, uh, pharmacy. And we've grown now. We have a pharmacy strategy where we have um, a four-pronged stra strategic plan around pharmacy and growing it both in retail specialty and infusion and PBM. You know, the pharmacy growth rates are around 41. CAGR rates are about 40%. And so um, we, we expect to see a large contribution to EBITDA through these horizontals, both in, uh, especially imaging and pharmacy. Um, it's, some of those are counterintuitive to value-based plays, but you actually have to, when we think about growth and we think about what we need to control as an integrated delivery network, if you take a pie chart and draw a circle around it, and that's a dollar, uh, we need to control you know, more than 80% of that pie chart. Uh, maybe 90% of that, you know, and there are certain things we'll, uh, we'll, we'll outsource some of those. Um, you know, there's been an announcement that Ascension is in the process of selling our labs um, to an outsource. And what we found through COVID is that we were not a great lab company. Um, we did not have the right infrastructure we, to, to do the things we needed to do. So we're looking to outsource our lab services. So growth for us is uh, both traditional and non-traditional. And I think from a disruptor standpoint, I worry less about you other, the competing health systems that are out there, not that we don't pay attention, but there are multiple disruptors out there that are looking, they're not looking to um, uh, support our, the, the, the poor and the vulnerable that we are called to at Ascension. 
Uh, they're not looking to take our Medicaid business away from us. They're not looking to take the uninsured business away. They're looking to take the profitable parts of our health system away and, and are doing a really good job because they're small, they're mobile, and they make decisions more quickly, and they're, they're not, they don't have the legacy um, regulatory environment that we have to have. And so I worry more about the optims of the world. I worry more about uh, the insurance world. And, and, and then all of the related companies, uh, the Oak Streets and things like that, that are trying to get, nor, you know, get upstream, own the premium, and control the physicians. Those are more, I think, are more of a threat and disruptor in a lot of ways, in a good way. It will make us better competitively. But I think they're much more uh, worrisome competitor for me than is another uh, health system, uh, whether re regional or national. Thank you, Joe. And, and Irildo, can, can you speak to that from your perspective? Any overlap there in what you've seen or experienced or, or what's different maybe? Yeah, so for us, we're geographically most located in the eastern Iowa. And our, however, our patient base is, uh, is across the state, given that, as I mentioned, we are the only academic medical center that serve uh, complex care in Iowa. So we had seen even before COVID this influx of, of patients toward the complex care. So we were running almost 90% uh, capacity utilization our inpatient beds. So we started to think about how do we mitigate these challenges, right? So what growth strategy do we need to put in place in order to, to create enough of uh, capacity so that we can expand access to care that we serve uh, across the state, right? Given our geographic location. So we started thinking about this and then COVID hit, uh, and we just simultaneously continues to manage the COVID situation uh, as well as starting to think about post-COVID, what the world post-COVID would look like, right? So <clears throat> even before COVID, during COVID, and then now that we are slightly uh, going uh, post-COVID uh, situation, we thought about the consumerism, right? So we, what we see is a lot of people want to get access care in the Amazon Prime way. What I mean with that is that they want access to specialist care within 24 to 48 hours, right? And then they want access right at, the, at their phone. They want access uh, close to their home, right? So then how do we think about this, all of these complexities, right? So how do we make sure that we operate an efficient organization and at the same time we grow our patient base as well as expand access, right? So some things that we think about is, you know, expand geographies, right? Either through partnership with our uh, independent hospital or uh, community care hospitals, uh, as well as uh, merger and acquisition activities, right? So we expand the you know, expand the ambulatory settings, for example, would be a, a way that we we've been thinking about it, uh, to in order to uh, expand access to where the, where the patient's base is, right? And then all of the strategies as we th as we think about it, post-COVID situation, all all of the strategies are the ones that we you know continuously think about how do we implement moving forward. Thank you. And I, I think that kind of uh, part of your, your answer there leads nicely to where I want to go next, which is a question about M&A, right? Uh, of course, uh, it, healthcare M&A took a no di nosedive in 2020 and since rebounded. Irildo, you sort of talked about the importance of partnerships. So I'll start with you on this question. Um, how does your organization think about growth via acquisition? Um, and in your opinion, is, is, is bigger always better? So I have a view about this M&As, right? So if you think about it, uh, Historically, organizations have grown, the healthcare has grown, have grown either through, you know, opportunistically or through getting big, bigger, merging, acquiring bigger hospitals and getting bigger, right? Or opportunistically meaning that they go and acquire a specific group or expand specific uh, ambulatory settings and so on, right? 
So my view is moving forward is that we need to be more of a <clears throat> flexible and agile in terms of M&A. What do I mean with that is that we need to be focused, right? So what exactly are the services that we are expanding? What are the areas that we are expanding? What is our growth opportunities, right? Bigger doesn't necessarily always mean better, right? However, as we think about it, for, uh, from my perspective, as we think about it, you know, we need to be more focused in terms of growing specific services as well as you know, being repetitive. Because as we be more repetitive, then we learn more about, uh, more about the transaction and we can become more and more efficient, right? However, for, so the way, the way to think about it is like a private equity firm, right? Like typically in the private equity uh, industry, you know, they go, and look at specific, you know, look at specific market inefficiencies, right? And then they enter the market inefficiencies, they grow all the capabilities, they grow the services, or they grow the products, and through acquisitions. So they execute multiple acquisitions uh, throughout the period of time in order to, to achieve that scale, right? So similar approach uh, as 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 we think about merger acquisitions, similar approach is what you know what I think about it, at least from my perspective, right? And uh, however, for this to be successful, there are three things that need to be in place, right? One, you you have to have you know, a clear understanding of your uh, market uh, competitive advantage, right? You have to have access to capital. And you have to have access to not just capital, uh, financial capital, but also human capital as well as organizational capital, right? And then you have to execute it more than one or more than two times per year in order to uh, achieve these efficiencies. So that's how I think about the merger and acquisition. Doesn't necessarily mean bigger, better, but you have to be more efficient. More, more efficient and, and perhaps, is it fair to say, more strategic or just thoughtful about how you're going to do it and why? Exactly. So when we think about it, right, we, we think strategically, where do we want to be in the next several years, right? What are some of the areas that we right. need to diversify revenue? What are some of the markets that we need to enter, right? Do we need to expand beyond where we are at and what are capabilities we need to do? Once we identify the strategic vision, the strategic view, then we start thinking about, like, how do we execute that, right? Gotcha. Thank, thank you so much for that. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I don't think that bigger is necessarily better. I mean, I think you know, we're a very large health system, and um, if anything, we've um, we've divested uh, a bit over the last uh, a couple of years. Um, looking uh, markets, and, and uh, as Geraldo mentioned, you know, being more strategic. So markets that didn't make strate sense strategically from us, we actually divested of those some of those markets. That's number one. I do think, though, that the you know acquisitions for us um, are not the traditional acquisitions of hospitals or other uh, or other health systems not going on the the merger mania that was in the past where we just any health system that wanted to become any small regional system or standalone that wanted to be part of us we sort of scooped up we we've got a lot of sins that we are still paying for by having done that uh, but we're more selective today looking at as you mentioned where are, we, where are we heading? What do we need? So, for example, we went out and acquired part of uh, a large um, uh, a surgery center company, Regents, is now part of Ascension. And um, that is, was a very strategic acquisition for us. We were far behind on surgery centers uh, relative to the size of our health system, uh, but we got incremental growth by acquiring a, a chunk of that. Um, you know, physicians, I think, you know, uh, we don't feel like we need to employ every physician, but strategically employing and acquiring large physician groups in our markets where it makes sense. And then candidly, we're looking at potentially acquiring physician groups outside of our market as we move more toward the premium dollar 
uh, and starting to take more risk and, you know, sort of the, a, a different model of what we were previously anchored in is we only acquired physicians to fill our beds in our acute care markets. Well, we're thinking about that differently, especially as we now have insurance assets and move closer to delegated uh, risk in the premium world. So we're thinking about growth and M&A a little bit differently than the old traditional go out and buy this X hospital, uh, thinking about it more selectively and, again, as Rolla mentioned, more strategically about what, what do we want to look like and what are we trying to achieve. And then, you know, cert, you know, access to capital will continue. And I think everybody's balance sheet got hit, or at least ours did during, the, during COVID. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to have to be much more judicious about the use of our balance sheet uh, and our uh, operating cash flows to expand uh, our footprint. Thank you. So one thing that I want to add to what uh, uh, Joe was saying, you know, one thing that we learned through COVID is that we really need to be efficient, right, with our resources. So that, with the capital being even more expensive these days, right, especially with the labor force also tightening, it's uh, it's going to be a challenge, right? It's going to be a challenge moving forward. How do we grow? How do we execute on the strategic initiatives that you know we set forward? And how do we think about expanding services, expanding footprint, but at the same time operate an efficient organization because at the end of the day you know we need to we need to make sure that we maintain specific margins so that we can finance or we can invest in our capital either either on our clinical enterprise or in our uh, you know care that we deliver throughout the throughout the state so these are some of the things that we really think continuously thank you both um i, I want to move now to a question about organic growth has come up a couple of times so far um achieving organic growth thinking here about um, increasing efficiencies and, and sort of improving existing service lines. Sometimes that work can be easier said than done. So I, I guess the question I want to ask is where have you found opportunities to really achieve this growth? Where have you had success, success executing? Joe, yeah. uh, can, can you start? Yeah, I think this is a real opportunity to partner with physicians and, and the clinical enterprise in a more specific way. Um, this would work some work when I was previously in Cleveland we did, and it's really engaging the physician enterprise, specifically like around service lines. I'll just use that as an example. You know, I always talk about, you know, should we build the OR that will help um, that'll help us grow our open gallbladder uh, or cholecystectomies? Well, no, of course not. Nobody does open cholecystectomies anymore. But as we start to think about growth and start to think about resources and how do you how you're going to pivot your resources you have to engage the physicians at a different level and start saying okay in cardiac surgery what is going to happen in cardiac surgery over the next 10 years that we should be purposeful on and how do we grow and how do we support that program where technology is heading where the science is leading us because in, in too many cases we make decisions to say well we're going to do what's what's popular now and, and, and try to build the resources around that. But if, if everything is moving in a different direction, it's like people that build inpatient orthopedic hospitals. They kind of miss the fact that most of orthopedics is moving to the outpatient arena. And so starting to partner, I think the, for us, what works for us is a much deeper relationship with the physician enterprise. Um, and Ascension, you know, used to be a hospital system and thought about growth always traditionally. One of the things we've been able to do is engage the physicians at a, a deeper level, understand where medicine is going, where the technology is taking us, 
and where the science is leading us, and then purposely grow in those areas and grow into those rather than waiting for it to happen and then trying to react. And so being leaders, I think, is a great opportunity for you to partner with your physicians. And do you think, speaking as a recovering physician, do you think that's a better way to sort of generate physician buy-in for any leadership changes, any strategic growth changes you're, you're trying to make? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the more the physicians feel like the sense of ownership and that they're at the table. I tell our docs, you know, you can't complain unless you want to become part of the solution. I, I, I don't mind their complaint letters, and you all get them, um, and there, some of them are eloquently written. Um, but if you want to come with a, a complaint, then you need to come with a, a potential solution. In the administrative world, we need to give them the avenue to help solve those problems. And uh, what I always tell them is, with the delegated authority for this comes the delegated accountability. Uh, and that changes the conversation. It's easier for your physicians, your leader, physician leaders to say those things to their docs. Um, but in, in, in all fairness, um, so many things have happened to the doctor. The more you can include them in the decision process, I think the much better chance you have of success and getting their buy-in on the back end. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Arildo, what would you say on this question of our organic growth? I would echo what, uh, what Joe was saying. We work very, very closely with our physician leadership, but another aspect that we add into this discussion of organic growth is where the market is headed, where the, you know, for specific, we go by specific service lines, right? Is it growth, the growth is gonna come from an inpatient or an outpatient? How do we balance, you know, our, uh, how do we balance our capital? How do we balance our human as well as, uh, you know, financial capital moving forward? What is the best way for us to think about it, right? And then we work very, as I mentioned, we work very closely with our physician uh, leaderships so that we learn more about where do we allocate our assets, where do we, uh, where do we invest in order to grow moving forward. Thank you, Rildo. And I, I think that sort of brings me to the next question, too, which is, I guess, how do you do that work? How do you um, determine whether to pursue a specific growth strategy? And I'm thinking here, what, what questions, as you just laid out some questions that need to be answered, what questions need to be answered before implementation begins? Uh, Arildo, can you speak more to, to the actual practical nuts and bolts of doing this work? Yeah, so we'll look at where we are today, right? What our challenges are today. For example, for us, as I mentioned, we, we are still running at 90% capacity in our inpatient beds, right? We are also geographically mostly located in, in the Eastern Iowa regions, right? And uh, we only have two hospitals that are serve the Eastern Iowa population, but as well as, you know, all the referrals. We are a major referral center, for example, for the state of Iowa, right? So yearly, we, we, we are not able to actually admit more than 2,000 patients. So these are the things that we think about moving, you know, how do we address moving forward, right? So one thing that we did specifically is that we requested, uh, we requested and we got approved to open a new, new hospital, an inpatient hospital in, uh, within the Johnson County close by the Iowa City. So we started, uh, we started the construction of the hospital and we, be, we believe that that will alleviate some of the pain that we have been, uh, that we have been feeling in terms of the capacity uh, constraint, right? And as we, as we think about moving forward, right, another aspect of it is we need to be ready for the next generation of, uh, of consumers, right? So what that means is that the next generation of consumers is gonna be more tech savvy. They're going to have a different demand for the services, right? And then they're, uh, they're going to be more of a interconnected with their uh, digital ecosystem. So how do we think about this? These are some of the questions that we think, not just expanding the market, because 
sometimes are moving forward, you know, the boundaries, geographic boundaries of our market will be disappearing, right? So we may be located in Iowa, but we may be serving patients that are, you know, are in, in Chicago, for example, right? Or maybe patients that are somewhere else. So there's other strategies that we think about it as we move forward, like what are our uh, tactical plans in terms of executing it? Thank you so much, Arildo. And, and Joe, what about you? What, what questions do you believe need to be answered before uh, you tackle a specific growth strategy? Yeah, for us, you know, it's, a, it's almost a market-by-market market question that needs to be answered because there is, uh, although I do agree that, you know, the, the boundaries get more and more blurred as we get. But, you know, what's true for us in Binghamton, New York, uh, is not true for us in, 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 uh, in Indianapolis, for example, where we are a full-service hospital, enjoy, um, you know, with uh, all the. And so when we start to think about growth and we grow in Binghamton, maybe make look totally different than what we would do but you have to understand what are what 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 is what is our market position. Uh, so we have to ask that question. Number two is what are we trying to achieve? If we're trying to move purposely toward a premium dollar, I come back to that pie chart. Um, you know, if we're going to grow services, um, are, what part of that pie chart are they? What part of the premium dollar? What part of the healthcare dollar spend is? Um, you know, for example, we we went out and somebody hired a um, cleft palate surgeon in in Florida. And uh, one of our health systems, so we're kind of scratching our head because I'm trying to think. Okay, what part of this is works in our market in Florida, where we don't have a lot of cleft palate surgery? And I'm trying to think. Okay, what would possess us to try and grow into cleft palate surgery when there's not really a need for it in that community? So I think you have to go back to what is the healthcare spend? What are you trying to achieve as a health system? And what do you want to be in the marketplace? Do you want to be this high-end specialty provider, uh, the Mayo Clinic uh, of the world, where you're providing those high-end services? Well, then that's a different recruit, and it's a different allocation of resources than it is if you're in Binghamton, New York, as an Ascension Hospital trying to be a good, solid community hospital. So I think it comes back to who are we, what do we want to do. And the biggest thing that I would say about all this is whatever we do, we need to focus. I think... You know, there's so much coming at healthcare right now, and there's all these disruptors. We tend to be a little bit frenetic about the the breadth of what we're doing, and I think we get a lose we lose a little focus. So whatever we do, I think we need to fo we need to stay true to what we think we should be doing and stay focused. Thank you so much, Joe. Um, and I think where I want to go now is the title of this session. Of course, <laughs> is you know strategically growing your hospital or health system. What works, what doesn't. Um, we, we spent a lot of time talking about what works, and we certainly circled some of the things that, that uh, what doesn't. But I want to sort of pointedly ask, um, you know, what doesn't work so well as a strategic growth um, uh, initiative? Uh, you, what, what paths should leaders really truly avoid taking? Uh, Joe, I'm going to ask you to perhaps weigh in there first. Sure. I think the days of you build it, they will come are over. I think, uh, I think also... Uh, acquiring uh, physician groups, um, uh, I think, have to be much more judicious about that. Uh, we wake up one day and we find we're investing, you know, 1.4 or 1.5 billion dollars in physician groups, and we're probably not any better off for it. And so I think the idea that every physician group that you re uh, acquire will be incremental for you, uh, I think, is um, I think you have to be much more strategic i think you have to be much more um holistic on their view of that and what is it going to mean to the health system 
I understand that sometimes it's defensive and it, you have to do it because they are us. But boy, um, the, as the dollars shrink, um, it's going to be harder and harder to continue to increase the investment in the physician enterprise. You know, I ran a private practice my first job, and I still remember the conversation with our CFO, who was in the audience. You know, and, he's, and you know they were um, we were they were losing money on our group, and I'm like, how did you lose money? We were all making money. Uh, the practice was flourishing, and the doctors were making good money, and 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 but then when they employ the doctor, uh, all of a sudden uh, there's this movement. Uh, and now, and we've actually broken that down and really understand what goes into the losses or the investment in the physician group, technical revenue, and a bunch of other things. But I, I think that you have to be much more judicious about physician acquisition and, uh, and how you're going to expand your physician enterprise and the specialty. I think there's a no-regret move on the primary care side, and I think you just have to create an environment. It's a no-regret move, but I think on the specialty side, I don't think it's – uh, a no-brainer anymore like it used to be. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Arilda, what would you say on, on what doesn't work? What should be avoided? I think going back to the initial question that we had, like bigger is better without a purpose, I don't think it works moving forward, right, especially with the limited resources that we all have available. So purposely growing, yes, then you have to have a specific vision of where do you want to be, right? What services do you want to offer? What geographic locations do you want to, you know, you want to expand your, uh, your, your footprint, right? And as we think about it, you know, we, we also focus on actually expanding specialty care with our physicians, right? There is a shortage of providers across the state, and the United States is also, you know, experiencing a shortage of provider with a provider burnout too. So we need to think about, you know, we need to think about the efficiencies that we need to implement in, in our ecosystem, right? So technology helps, but sometimes we need to be used appropriately, right? So we think about it, like how do we, how do we leverage existing infrastructure and future innovation in terms of helping our physicians to be more efficient, helping our organization to be more efficient and better leveraging our internal, you know, uh, clinical enterprise. Thank you so much. Um, I want to, before we move to some, some final thoughts here, just want to pause and, and check in with the audience. Do we have any questions for our panelists here? Right here in front. So the question is, how do you um, look at the next generation of physicians and really assess what their needs are, what, the, what their wants are, and, and, and incorporate that into your growth strategy? Yeah, so that is a very, very important uh, topic that we need to be uh, aware of, right? As I mentioned with the physician burnout, we need to, we need to think about the work-life balance, not just for the employees, but also for the physician, right? So there's days are gone when physician is going to be like 24-7. So the question is, how do we put the right infrastructure in place? How do we put the right uh, scheduling, coverage in place that we serve this next generation that has a demand of 24-7, but without burning our providers, right? So then the, then the topic that comes in here is like, what are our innovation technologies or otherwise efficiencies that we need to put in place, right? That is a very, very important uh, topic. It is at the top of our mind. And how do we actually make this ecosystem moving forward be more efficient? And part of that is making sure that providers' burnout is reduced. 
Really thinking about their well-being then. Yep. Correct. Uh, Joe, what would you say? Yeah, no, I think that it is, a, it is spot on. I think the generation of physicians have changed. Um, I, rem I have a, I interviewed a neurosurgeon who asked me what his paid holidays were going to be going forward. I mean, that's never a question that I would ever even have dreamed of asking. I, I wanted to know how much I could do and how, you know, what, how are they going to make me more efficient. It's just a different generation. I think the more you can engage physicians and let physicians manage physicians, it becomes easier. Um, we've had great uh, success in managing burnout in our physicians, our physician enterprise. Burnout rates have gone way down, uh, but we've been very purposeful about having physician uh, resources available to battle burnout um, and being flexible on how you pay physicians. Uh, that, that contributes a lot to burnout, and we actually uh, have moved away from uh, linear relationships between comp and RVUs. Um, I think physicians sometimes feel like they're on a treadmill that keeps going faster, and they've got short little legs that can't move any faster, and so they, they feel like they're burning out because of that. And I think changing the compensation model um, to allow for physicians not only to be production or pistons in the engine, but also contribute to the health system in a strategic way, I think is another way um, to engage physicians. And I think there's been a lot written about this compensation models contributing to burnout. Excellent question. Thank you, uh, Joe and Irildo, for, for tackling that. Any any other questions from the audience? Right there. So, so the question, just to repeat the question for folks, uh, it, Joe, you were making comments about a medical group, and he's asking for more details about it. Yeah, the question is, is how did a, a profitable medical group become not profitable? So when you break down, like uh, you break it down, we actually have done this because the docs were tired of hearing that they were not profitable and they were a drain on the health system. So when you break it down, if you, we spend a billion, if we invest a billion dollars in the doctors, we know that uh, about of that billion dollar investment, about 40% of it is related to technical revenue that we strip out of the physician practices. So that's the first big chunk. The second chunk is, at Ascension anyway, is that we've never really negotiated hard with the payers on the, uh, on the physician, the pro fees. We were always worried about the hospital. We didn't want to kill the golden goose. So, you know, we were getting, for example, uh, we, uh, we would get relatively much less. I'm not going to give out percentages, but we would get relatively much less for our professional fees in one of our markets than we do on the technical fees. If we just brought them up to MGMA median, that would have been another $100 million pickup. Um, and so there are about four different elements that get us to about 70% of the way there. Uh, the other piece is, you know, uh, we have a neonatal service. Uh, probably should only have one neonatologist from a productivity standpoint. You can't hire one neonatologist. They can't work 24-7. That was another $100 million as sort of the station-filled pieces to it that a health system will do that a physician group, when you're independent, I'm sorry, we, we're only hiring one neonatologist because that's all we can afford. Um, and so I think when we looked at that billion dollars, about seven. Hundred million went away. About three hundred million of it 
was due to um, probably just um, expense that we added, some of the expense overhead that we added in. We never, you never run, um, we always ran our business as a physician enterprise much tighter on the overhead. And so I think it comes back then to how do you give physicians a sense of ownership of their own group and their own P&L where you say, listen, you, we want you to run this like it's a business in your garage, like you would run your own business, your own household. And you've got, I think you've got to get the physician to be, physicians to be, feel like owners in their own practices. Um, and that sense, I think you'll get, you'll, you'll never negate the losses because of some of the things we talked about earlier, but you can do the best you can, uh, while having a, probably a little bit more of an aligned group of physicians. I say probably because employment doesn't always guarantee alignment. Thank you, Joe. I uh, appreciate you diving deeper on that. And we've got just a minute left here. So uh, I'm quickly going to ask each of our panelists here, 30 seconds or so, any, any final thoughts, key takeaways? Aroldo, let's start with you. Yeah, I think efficiency is the name of a game moving forward. No matter what we do, either expand clinical, clinical services, either grow uh, through merger and acquisition, either grow through partnership, and as well as making sure that our physicians are, uh, are operating at top of the license and having the right, uh, right work-life balance there too. I think moving forward, efficiency is the name of a game, and we need to be prepared for the new generation of consumers. As a matter of fact, this was a statement that I had in here with my computer in here. We'll, we will see more and more of these things moving forward. Thank you, Rildo. Joe? Yeah, I think, you know, for us it's about uh, how do we grow and think about growth in a different way. Um, I think we're all probably running really tight on the expense side. I'll go back to being the, 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 uh, the equation. We've got to bring more in than we pay out. It's a, the cardiologist view of the P&L, um, pretty simple, but it still holds true. Um, and I think we're going to have to figure out multi-channel ways to grow revenue, not just through the traditional heads and beds. And until we do that, until we embrace the fact that healthcare is changing, it's moving to the outpatient world, it's moving to the home, and we look for a multi-channel approach to growth, um, I think you won't get left behind if you take that approach, a multi-channel approach to growth. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Rildo. Thank you, all, all of you, for, for attending. And I believe there's a networking break right now, so perfect opportunity for you to corner one of our panelists in the, in the hall out there if you got more questions. Thanks, everybody.